from the throne came out of the out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and there were se- and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of god and before the throne there was something like a sea of glass like crystal and in the center Around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had the face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings and are full of eyes around within, and day and night, They do not cease saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sit on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written on the back, sealed up with seven seals, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Who is worthy to open the book to break its seals? And no one, no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. So as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures. And the elders, side note here, God is sitting in that place. The one that said, who's worthy to open this? The creator of everything. And it was the book of the plan of God, for lack of a better way to say it, how you and I were going to be redeemed through all of heaven. And no one was able to open it. It's judgment standing to pound all of us. And then it says, I looked, and I saw between the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing. So the picture is God sitting there with this book, and right up where he is, exactly where he is, a lamb stands as if slain. And he came. And he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat up on the throne. And when he had the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which were the prayers of the saints forever. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and a priest of our God, and they will reign upon the earth. That's the God that's reaching down to you and me to pull us up out of our mire. And if you don't know that you're in a mire, you're deceived. Sorry, now we'll do the sermon.
we were singing that song, The Breath. I have to stay in proximity. I'm not nearly as polished as Matt is, so I apologize for that. But he picks up a pile of dirt, blows life into it, and poof, here we are. So this God that is this powerful has already done everything. And that's a good preface, preface for what we're fixing to talk about here. Sorry, Tim, I just threw you way off, didn't I? We've been scripting this thing out. Uh, anyway, sorry. Um, so I want to say up right, right quick here. Uh, sorry, that blasted spirit. You know, he leads you to do things, and here it is. That None of that was, everything I just did was free, okay? Uh, so I'm, my name's Tim Gandy, for those of you who don't know me. And Matt and I have been in ministry a long time, and he commissioned the Crucible's Fire. And uh, supporting the prayer from the other year. But the ministry's function is to equip believers. That's what we're for. And uh, everything that he has done over the past few weeks and the things that he's taught and the scriptures that he has used are not just to come up here to look like a good show. And I don't mean you're taking it that way. I don't mean that at all. But it's for you to take and to use because it's not about having somebody up here that knows everything. You carry the, the same spirit within you that Matt has within himself. To walk out of this place and not even deal with everybody else, but to deal with your own place and your own family and learning and, and, and fleshing out, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And it's not easy. It looks a lot different than we think it is. And so that's what the crucible's fire is for. And uh, so I, I give you that preference to say that I was doing Sunday school with them Wednesday, and I, I, I'm not a very orthodox kind of individual. Uh, if you don't know what that is, it basically means straight. So, you know, do you, do you do the normal thing? And I'm not knocking the tradition. Please don't misunderstand me. Uh, but the things that I've seen and the things that the Lord has grown me into, uh, uh, tradition and value does have place. But sometimes when the Lord starts moving, things change. It doesn't, he doesn't negate things as they should be. It's all about how he thinks and what he does, and that's what we're going to look at today. And so we have to adjust. Are you looking for the kingdom or are you not looking for the kingdom? So, now we'll get into it, Tim. So, <laughs> a couple of preference uh, scriptures here. So, Second uh, Chronicles 16, 9. And if you're writing notes down, uh, I, I rarely do this kind of stuff. I mean, as far as making it out, it's just because I'm lazy or I don't know how to do it. Uh, but I want you to be able to write down things because everything I'm telling you right now and the scriptures that I use are things that you can go back because when you walk out of here, there's going to be things swirling around in your head. You agree with it. You see it. You didn't want to be those things. But if it stops right there, it's not going to help you very much. So you'll go out of here and you'll start taking those scriptures. And even though it may seem clear right here what I'm doing with them and how they apply, working out that salvation with fear and trembling, it will come and it will give you more fruit, so to speak. So jot these things down if you can it's not just the scriptures i'm using it's all the stuff that matt had used beforehand as well and i'm sorry about the nose thing it just started up blasted satan so uh so let, let, let's uh let's read this here and, and read it out with me so for the eyes of the lord range throughout well, not yet i'm setting you up here for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to show himself strong for those whose hearts are completely his. Now go to that one. 
Would everybody stand up with me? Now we're going to say this a little different. Just follow me. So I can get through it. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. To show himself strong in the behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. Okay, have a seat. That's the King James Version. That's what I learned it in. I'm reading from a New American Standard Version. Don't care what Bible you read. That is an eternal verse. It's actually pulled out of the middle of another verse, and in the context of where that verse is, it does fit. But when I say it's an eternal verse, it's one of those things that you can pull out, and you can drop anywhere in scriptural history, and you can see his movement. Which begs the question, what's the perfect heart? So I got another one here we're going to work with. Uh, Matthew. Here we go. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chafe he will burn up with fire that never goes out. This is John the Baptist preaching, and he was kind of a fiery little dude. Uh, depending on where you stand, you might think he was a little too cocky, or you might, you might go... Yeah, that's the way we ought to be doing it. Uh, but basically, the big-name bug-gun preachers of the day were coming out to hear what he was saying, and he looks at him and he says, Who invited you, brood of vipers, to come out here? That's pretty saucy. Now, forgetting whether that's the way you should be or not, a bad attitude is never the way to do anything. There's, there's purpose in that, but that's a whole other sermon. But the, the context of that is... Uh, this is what he tells them. He's talking about Jesus and his winnowing fork. Well, I'm using my King James language again. Winnowing shovel. That just doesn't compute in my brain. Sorry, I, squirrel. Um, his winnowing fork is in his hand. And what that means is, is some of the older folks here may remember some of this, but at any rate, they had a big, they had what they call a threshing floor. And they threw grain on this fleshing floor and threshing floor, and it had a big, huge rock stone that they would roll, and it would crush that grain because they're trying to get what they call the husk off of the grain because you don't eat that part. You got to have the inner inner piece of it. And so, in their industrial thinking of the day, they would roll this rock over it, crush it, and they'd stand in it with this thing called a winnowing fork, or in this case, a shovel, and they would put that in there and toss it way up in the air. And they built these things as best they could, a place where there was a lot of wind. Because they'd come over and they'd crush it and they'd throw it up. And when they did, the grain would come up and it had weight and it would come down. And what it crushed off of it would float for a second or two and the wind would take it and blow it off. That's the chaff. And so the picture here is, is that Jesus is not in his preacher suit. He's got no shirt on. He's got something tied around his waist. And he's out there sweating in the sun and he's getting this and he's throwing it up in the air every time that rock comes and you and I are the grain he is serious about bringing out himself in you and we have an option in that that's what we're fixing to talk about but he is going to make you into the likeness of himself if you carry his spirit not a request and so he stands there and he takes those this this would be full of the people that are saved and he digs in there and he throws you straight up in the air 
and the wind, and it comes down, and the pressure of the stone comes back and cracks you again, and he digs and he throws you straight up in the air again. This is the guy that took the book with the seals and could open it. Go to the next one. Psalm 50. So you remember Psalm 50 when Matt talked about that one, but one of the character functions in it was the devouring. This is God moving. Devouring fire precedes him and a storm of rage around him. And the King James says it's a tempestuous place. little war story in my Marine Corps days. I was in a training function, and I was we were swimming underwater, and, and I got a pack and blah, 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 and we come up in the surf, and we're supposed to be little sneaky ninjas as we climb up in there, and it's pitch black. And you get up, you ever been to the, when you get out in the beach, you know, you can go a long way out, and it's not real deep in some places. And so I'm trying to be sneaky, and I pull in my equipment, and I'm putting it on, and and I'm on my knees because I'm trying to stay low in the water, you know. I've got the ninja thing going on. And somewhere in the surf, between where I got out and where it was, some giant wave came up behind me. I didn't know that at the time. All I knew was all of a sudden I got whacked. And I was going tail over tea kettle everywhere. And the level of the oceans went down about three feet because I swallowed it. And in those kind of trainings, they tell you, uh, how do you figure out which way is up? Well, you blow bubbles, and you watch them, and you can reorient yourself. But it was black outside. I couldn't see anything. And so when I finally came up out of that mess, that's a tempest, right? The kind of stuff that it feels like it's going to kill you. Devouring fire proceeds before him, and a storm rages around him. That's not a bad thing. We think that's the place where the sinners and the evil people go, and that's what they experience. This is the same God that stood up and took the book with the seals and could open it. So in 2 Chronicles 16.9, it says, you know, if your heart is perfect toward him. And what is a perfect heart? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to use John the Baptist to kind of look through that because he's a weird dude. I'm here to tell you. If we saw him today, you'd think he was crazier than an outhouse rat. And I'm speaking from someone, me, and how I would do it, so I'm not using generalities. I'm, this is personal stuff for me. So... Uh, uh, which leads us to a point. We know that Jesus does all this stuff, and this is going to be our primary text. In John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Now, what does that mean? So what we're going to look at here is well, what it boils down to. He must increase, and I must decrease. It means giving up your rights to yourself. The creator of everything that you see, walk on, build with your hands, all of that stuff. He's already taken care of all the problems and the details and where it is that you figure that out. And in the end, you just have to believe that. So I'm going to ask you all a stupid question. How many of you believe what this says? You may have to learn that a little bit. But right here, right now, if you claim that you're a saved individual, do you believe that the word of God is complete and whole and can get you everything you need? Good. Because sometimes there's things in there that we don't fathom or we don't want to fathom. Just be honest about it. So if he's provided all of this, and Matt's even talked about that stuff in first, or Second Peter in there, that God's already provided all this stuff and the way and the ability and the capacities, everything, he's done the work. The one thing that he's looking for you to do is to give up the right to yourself. 
And you say, Lord, I'm willing to do that. Here I am. Take me. The scripture is loaded with the people that would do that. Every type of conceivable personality you can think of is in here. Hard heads, amiable people. This is East Texas, so I'm going to go out on a limb and say that at least 98% of you would claim the hard-headed part of that. <laughs> I'm one of you, so I don't mean you. Uh, giving up the right to yourself. What does that look like? That's what we're going to look at. So if you want, you can turn to uh, uh, John chapter 3. And let's read this. Um, I'm going to read it on these slides. So I'm reading the New American Standard. I don't remember what, what version was this. Holman. Uh, don't get caught up in your versions. Uh, as long as it's not a degenderized Bible, you'll, you're good to go. You laugh. They're out there. And as a side note, they can do whatever they want to mess up the word of God. <laughs> Even Paul said a bad gospel is better than no gospel at all. So <laughs> there must be some power in there somewhere. So, okay, that's whole, get, get, get back on task. So what we're looking at here is, is we're at a place where we know the kind of story, John the Baptist, that uh, uh, he, he was foretold. Um. Let's see, I lost my place in my notes because I got all riled up. Uh, so I wrote a note here. The need for giving up the right to yourself is an imperative in following the Father. This is the one thing that's on you and me, is to give up the right to ourselves. And so what does that look like? And in, well, in relation to that, the Father fills you in steps proportional to giving up your right to yourself. So that means when you finally let go of part of yourself and who you are and what you want, he'll fill that and use it. And it comes over time. Most of us seem to think you have a simple mind of the gospel and how God works. That it dumps in you and you're all there and it's all good. That's not how it works. And anybody with any age and wisdom and experience, and I can see people out there shaking their head, you get that. You're going to learn that one way or another. So he, that's what he's looking for. So John 3, verse 22. Uh, so he says, after these things, oh, sorry, after this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. So Jesus and his disciples are out baptizing. So John has already baptized Jesus, and he's already started his ministry by the time this takes place. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water there and people were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and some Jew about purification. So now we're talking about theology and religion all of a sudden. Right, So they came to John and they told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is flocking to him. Hold right there. So John the Baptist, uh, his daddy was a big muckety-muck in the preacher world. And he was such a big muckety-muck that he got to go into the Holy of Holies. So the temple was still around then. And that was a big deal. So once a year they'd go in to do the sacrificing in there. And to get in there, there'd be three or four of them that were qualified enough to be able to do that. And they were scared to go in there. Because history had proven strange things that happened over a period of years. And so it was exciting on one hand and terrifying on the other. Sounds just like God to me. And so before they would walk through the veil, and this wasn't your average curtain. I mean, that sucker was thick and heavy, and it was made to take some effort to get in there. And so when they would they'd draw straws, 
Yeah, how spiritual, right? I don't know if I want to go today. Me either, Fred. How about you, Joe? <laughs> Let's draw straws, right? <laughs> Let's not listen to the spirit. Ah, da, 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 da. Let's, let's, let's figure it out. So they draw straws and they tie a rope around the guy and send him in there. You know why they tied a rope around him? Because when they heard the lightning go, they could pull out whatever was left because they weren't going in there. Now, it sounds funny, but I'm telling you, it's history. You know, I'm really paraphrasing some things here, but that's, that's, that was the gist of it. And the Bible tells us in uh, Luke chapter 1, that his dad and his mama, they were righteous people. Uh, they followed the law. They were blameless. That's the scripture saying that, right? And so the angel meets him, his dad, Zechariah, is that his name? Uh, he walks in, and he's going to do the incense thing, and Gabriel, because it actually gives his name, meets him. Says, hey, you're going to have a son. Well, it's the same kind of deal like uh, uh, Sarah and Abraham. He was old. And uh, uh, you know, when you read the conversation, it's like, I didn't see anything too blasphemous in there. But whatever it was, the angel said, because you didn't believe I was telling you you're having a son, you're going to be mute for a while. So he comes out of there, and he's probably all excited, and he's trying to tell the guys what happened, but he can't talk. (laughs) So all of a sudden, he's going, I wish I'd have paid attention to those learning to sign language when I was younger. And so time goes on, John is born, and th- this is a big deal. So there's traditional things going on here that I'm trying to explain to you. And, and uh, uh, the firstborn son is named after the father. That's just the way it works in the Jewish world. And I, I'm taking Jewish, I want, I want you to learn the Jewish history. I want you to understand your traditions that you do right here in this place. Because old churches have traditions. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Because you guys are going to start going, that's so stupid, why do we do that? Just breathe, take it easy, and in 10 or 15 years, you'll, your dad will get smarter than you thought he was the older you get. So, uh, that was free. So, uh, John's born, they go to the ceremony to, to circumcise him, and that's where he gets his name. And Mama speaks up, and they said, there's, there's a way that they do it. And they say, do you want to name him after the father? I'm really paraphrasing here. And Mama pipes up, and she says, no. His name's supposed to be John, because that's what the angel told, right? And they were like, what do you mean? They can't do that, because you're blowing up 500,000 years worth of tradition here. And so they, they, they go to Zechariah. Your wife's crazy, dude. Tell us, tell us the name. All of a sudden, his tongue comes back. And he says, his name's John. They didn't expect him to... It rattled their tradition. Listen to me. The guy that stands up with the book and the, that can open the seals is going to rattle where you think you stand because we are linear in everything we do, and he is not. And he's got to shake us into a place where we will do what he is showing. And it's scary for us. It's scary. Because as we learn the way to do it, now we know how to do it. Now we're not scared anymore. And you can look down on people because they don't know how to do it. Or you can help people to help them get whatever it is. But whatever it is, you know what you're doing. And then this guy comes in and puts you a fork under you and tosses you straight up in the air. We're talking about the perfect heart, what that looks like. Everybody's willing to have a perfect heart. But when the training starts, and he's not trying to train you. He's trying to get you to give up the right to yourself because that's the one thing he gave you that's all on you to give or not give. So we look at John the Baptist and I'm going to run out of time. We look at John the Baptist, and his ministry is effectively over at this reading. He was a guy out preaching repentance, and he was, I'm telling you, he was nuts. I mean, from people looking at him. He lived outside, he wore camel hair, he ate 
grasshoppers. Maybe the diet was good for you. I have no idea. But he, he, but whatever he was preaching, and his daddy was a muckety muck in the system, and everybody would be looking at him, and it's going to look bad. And if you're thinking linearly, it's going to look bad on Zechariah. And Zechariah had a vision that he's probably, I don't know, he was probably torn. He didn't know what to do. Not because his son was weird, but because he saw truth there. And he was trying to reconcile it with what he had known forever. God will reach down and jerk out by the roots. Whatever it is you're trying to hang on to in your identity. When you're willing to give yourself up. Now this sounds really negative, I know. And it feels negative most of the time. I'm looking at myself and remembering this stuff. That's why it's so hard. And John, John is a perfect example. Yeah, but he was loaded with the Spirit from before time he was ever born. No, you're looking at it wrong. It kind of messed him up. I mean, from our perspective, from a professional perspective, you might be able to say his parents had messed him up. They should have named him Zachariah. I'm not kidding. And so it shook the entire community. And so because he was so shamed, he must have had to go out in the desert and do the things he did. That's how normal people would read that. That's not how John was looking at it. John was out preaching things that were so powerful that when Sunday morning would show up and the pastor man, the good pastor comes in and he's got a 500-member congregation, speaking in our terms, he shows up to church and nobody's there. Where are they? They're out listening to John, the crazy guy eating the grasshoppers. Don't think it didn't shake up society. And it's not because John was doing that. It's because God said, I'm fixing to shake the kingdom up and get people back on where they need to be looking. And that's how he does business. You're either going to be afraid of that or you're going to look to it. And that's learned. What I mean by learned is, is that you hear it, it soaks in, and you go, yeah, I can agree with that. But then you actually start doing what you were normally doing instead of being changed and making an effort to change into something different. I'm looking at you young guys because you're just fixing to go through that, but all of us deal with that too. We just don't want you to know it. I told the guys Wednesday night, I don't remember what we were talking about, I said, just accept the fact from a kingdom perspective that you're an idiot. And live in that, because it's so much easier as far as relative to the kingdom, because we're still learning all that. And God loves that. And if you're willing to learn and go, oh, man, I was such an idiot. Look at that. What, what was wrong with me? That's, that's okay. There's strength in that. Anyway, sorry that was free, too. So John the Baptist, uh, I'm trying to get to a point right here uh, before we run out of time. And so the guys come up, and they, the guys following John, they're us. Something transformed them in the middle of John's ministry that they saw truth there, and that was real. And they'd been doing this one, two, three religion, well-meaning, but it wasn't very fulfilling, or it was seeming weird, especially compared to what John was talking about. Whatever he was saying, he was preaching repentance to him. Yes, I know that. But he was expounding on the scriptures and they were going, holy cow, did y'all respond when Matt would be up here preaching? Did it do something to you from the words that were coming in? Did it change maybe or excite you or challenge you? That's what it's like. And that's how they felt. And so they started following John around. They were his disciples. Now the whole time John is telling them, I'm not the guy. That's the guy. That's right. But they didn't hear that part. And maybe it wasn't their time. Listen, 
Being transformed by the Word of God takes time, and you've got to have patience with it. I'm jumping ahead of myself, but I'm sorry. I've already blown the slides to pieces. So poor Tim's back there trying to keep up with me. So he... You made me lose my train of thought, Brian. train of thought thank you so his disciples come to him and remember they're 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 like us they're struggling in one two three religion they've been changed by something he said and they're trying to figure out what that really is john obviously knows what he's talking about but we don't know but we like that because we want to be a piece of that and so as they follow him and they're doing his being his disciples are helping him they're listening to him and they're they're learning that's one of the big things. Whatever he was preaching, they were learning. Doesn't mean they were experts at it, but they were picking it up, and the Spirit was working itself out. Well, they weren't saved yet. That's a different discussion, but they were learning. God didn't start working when he brought his Holy Spirit here. He was working <laughs> from the beginning of time. So that, okay, I just threw your theology right out the window. Anyway, uh, uh, so they're, they're changing and they're working. And so they get into this conversation with a real Jew. Just looking for a way to describe it. A guy who is good at the one, two, three thing, right? And probably really believes what he believes. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. Purification, this is what John's saying. And this is what we're doing and all that. And that guy's going, are you nuts? We got a thousand years. It's written right here. This is what it is. And this is what you have to do to get it. And they started going, they started reverting back because they understood that. Does that make sense? In a bad sense. It was kind of getting a hold of them there. Not that the tradition was bad, but this is what happens when you're working and figuring out the things of the kingdom and how it implies to you. And so what do they do? They go to John, and they're frustrated. And he says, Rabbi, they use the proper title, right? That means something. <laughs> John was not a rabbi. But they need him to be a rabbi, right? <laughs> rabbi, the one who testified about you and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everybody's flocking to him. Because if John fails, they failed in their choice to follow him. Do you, you follow that? They're nervous and they're scared. I get that. And here's the hard part. Verse 27. John responded. I could, whatever he was doing, it, it looks like and feels like the scene. He just stopped what he was doing and he looked him dead in the eye. And he said, no one can receive a single thing unless it's given to him from heaven. And I'm sure they were like, what does that mean? Keep going. You, you yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I'm the one that's been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. John knew his ministry was over. He, if anybody, could have been going, hey, wait a minute. Some theologians will tell you that when your ministry is done, God takes you out and takes you home. I don't completely disagree with that. That's theological talking. But look what happened here. He tells them. This is a powerful statement coming from somebody like John the Baptist. A powerful statement. A willing decision of his mind and his heart as a human right here living in tough times and difficult things. He must increase, but I must decrease. Basically what he was telling him was, I'm not the guy. He is. I've been telling you that. So emulate me in all the things I've done up to this point, if that's what you want to do. That's what he was telling them. 
Everything about me can be sacrificed, John says. Everything. I am expendable. So when you're working in yourself, the little things that come up, it's easy to look at other people and say, well, you know, you need to settle down a little bit and start paying attention to what the Lord's telling you. And you may not tell them that, but you may think that. It's a judgment. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad judgment. You ever done that? Looked at somebody and thought, man, you, or if you're older, you'll look at younger people doing something that maybe they've been told, you know, they need to do it different or whatever, and you're going, okay, they're going to learn because they're going to do it anyway. That judgment is not necessarily bad, but when you're trying to learn how to give up rights to yourself, you need to turn that around real quick and say, do I do that too? It's not always obvious where it is you're supposed to give yourself up at. It's not always obvious, but the Lord will show it to you if your heart's perfect. Doesn't mean he's going to take it away. It means you're going to figure it out. So I'm going to have to jump ahead here. So how do we do that? What do we do to do that? What's the practical functions? Is everybody kind of tracking at least with what, you may not agree with me, but what I'm talking about here, giving up the rights to yourself and what that kind of looks like? And John the Baptist is a good guy to look at what that looks like in your nature and how you carry yourself and those kinds of things. So uh, how do you give yourself up? Uh, if I was a real professional, you know, I'd have the here's, the, here's the three things that you do and it'll happen every time. I can't give you that. But I can tell you what it did for me. Read your Bible. Now, everybody in here knows that. I get it. And I'm not chastising. This thing seems daunting because it's confusing to read it. If you just break it open and you look at it and you go, I, I can't build the context. I don't know. I don't know the history. I don't know this. I don't know that. I, I don't know what it means. Used to, everybody had King James Version Bibles, and that was a true thing. You could read it and go, I don't speak Shakespeare. But they have a lot of versions now that you don't have to worry about that. Whether it's the right version or not, just get rid of that whole thought. A lot of people throw rocks at me for saying that. But there's a reason I say that. I believe that this is the word of God. And whether it's an NIV or a King James or a New American Standard or half a dozen of the other ones that they have, the word of God can't be destroyed. It can't. You can change words in it. You can purposely try to make it be different. It's still going to cut through. I don't get that, but I have seen it happen. So I have a lot of faith in it. And if the guy standing up can break the seals, he's not worried about somebody changing his Bible. Now, purposely doing it, that's somebody else with a different issue. But that's Read your Bible. Just start somewhere. So here, here let, me give you, let me give you some help. Wednesday night, we're, we're, we've been going through the book of Acts. And next Wednesday, we're reading chapter 15? 15, 15. 13. Don't correct me. I'm standing up here in a pulpit, man. What's the matter with you? Sorry, I had to get my pride built. So we're going to read chapter 13. Whether you come Wednesday or not, you read chapter 13. And when you read those names and you read Paul because you've been in church, I'm going to go out on a limb. Most of you have been in church for a good number, a good while, and there are certain terms you use. Well, Paul was an apostle, so he's automatically Mr. Perfect. Don't look at it like that. I'm, te I'm teaching you how to have context. This is what crucible fire does. We give, equip you to be able to go do these things. So read that. And if you want more context, back up. I mean, it's a story. You can read the story. You can even go look where these places are. Heck, you can look Google Maps up and find anything on the planet and just learn how to work through that. Read your Bible because you do have to have an academic start. You want to learn how to give up your way to yourself? God does have certain ways to do it. You bet you the Spirit can drop on you and convict you of something just like that if you're, if you're, 
if your heart is perfect, and he knows that. But he also doesn't want you to be lazy about it. Work on it like it dependent on you. Your salvation is not dependent on you. Giving up yourself to make yourself more useful for the Father. That's what he's looking for. Read your Bible. And don't look at it like it's big and complex. Uh, we're so easily distracted these days because everything is so instantaneous. I almost think we need to learn how to be bored again. Because you look for things to break that up. So read your Bible. Read it. You don't have to read 10 books at a time. Just read a few verses at a time and start and keep looking at that. Get you a good devotional. Anybody here know who Oswald Chambers is? Got three or four there. So there is a devotional called my utmost for his highest. You can order it. You can do all these things. That is a magnificent. I know what I know of the scriptures largely because I studied that guy and how he studies. He's way over my head. But it reminds me of John the Baptist. That guy can take a half a sentence out of a full scripture, and it's just unbelievable. So how do you know you have a good devotional? If that devotional encourages you and challenges you to want to know more, it's a good devotional. If it just encourages you and makes you feel good, there's nothing wrong with that. But, I mean, it should make you, when you read Oswald Chambers stuff, you're like going, how in the world did he come up with that? That's good. And you go and you start looking. For me, I'm looking to challenge him to tell him that he's wrong. So What? I don't know if that was his intention, but it sure did work. So get you a good devotional. And then pray and repent. I'm backwards. You talk to all the Holy Ghost people that are out there and stuff, and I'm not, I'm not making fun of them. I, but I'm a dud. I sit in the pew, and I'm not a jump up and down and crazy kind of guy. But those guys... uh. They pray first. They pray first. They try to get all filled up before they get into the Word. If that's what you like, do it. Me, I have to read first. Because that, it starts getting my head back where it's at. And it leads me to want to pray. So these are simple things, right? And repent. When you find something about yourself that it's, you're not giving yourself for the Lord or you're trying to struggle with it, Repent. It doesn't mean it's going to go away right then either. You may have to keep doing it over and over and over again. That's what he's looking for. Does that make sense? You think, man, it's got to be magical. No, it's not. Just do it. And have patience with yourself and everybody else around you. That's hard. A common side effect of somebody that's really starting to get into the word and learn the things of the scripture academically and in a, some way or another trying to put it into practice, they become kind of self-righteous a lot of times. And those of us that are more matured and been past that already, you don't really get past it anyway. You'll look at that and you'll try to say, oh, man, you need to stop that and do all that. And you're taking some of the wind out of their sails. You know what? To me, it's like a sign that they're growing. You just kind of bear with it and let them get through it, and then eventually they'll get over the other side. You don't let them take over committees in the church, but you keep pushing them. Does that make sense? You help them out a little bit with that. That's a common side effect, believe it or not. It doesn't mean that they're just jerks. Now, you can park there and turn into a jerk like Jonah. Nobody laughed at that, so I guess you don't know the story. Maybe sometime we can talk about that. Jonah needs a t-shirt that says Jerks for Jesus on it. <laughs> anyway, so that's it. Read your Bible. Academically, get the things in there. Get your different versions. Skim through it. Find one verse, read four or five different things. I am not a smart individual. I'm not beating myself up here. All the things that I know, and I'm pretty well read and I've well studied, but it, it didn't start out that way. 
I had a hunger for the word, and I had, to, I had to teach myself to read again. I had to teach myself how to do real English again, like diagramming sentences and finding out what punctuation was. And all. I had to do all that all over again. And I had to teach myself how to do it because I wanted to know as much as I could get. There's days that I'm thinking, I wish I didn't know what I know. Those times will come, but that's okay. For the few weeks that we've been here, I've been watching. Matt's been up here preaching, but I've been watching. And I would tell you, the vast majority of you, you do have perfect hearts toward the Lord. But don't take that sitting down. You don't prove anything to anyone around you or yourself unless it helps you learn things about the kingdom. The fight is to let go of yourself and let the Lord fill that. And then you will begin to protrude and go forth. And when Jesus says, hate not your father, mother, and your children also, that means that the kingdom is going to shake things up so people around you are going to be going, you've taken that religion thing just a little too far. And that's someplace you need to go struggle with God and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I can't leave my family, I can't do all that stuff, I can't solve that for you, but I'm telling you that's a place you'll get. And that's okay. He wants you there because you know why, where the answer is? It's not out me telling you where you go and how you do it. You have to look back and go, what is this? He wants you looking up at him. Amen. And he puts you in that place to have to do it. And that's not a bad place. So what I didn't get to is in 2 Peter chapter 1, some verse there, chapter 4 or something. That's the explanation, like Matt said. We have all of him and everything he is already. The guy that stood up and picked up the bucket because the rest of the steel's over. That's the guy that's got his hand out to you. If your life is led to a point that all you're doing is sweeping the floor in the church, but that is the place that God has called you, more people will be influenced by the kingdom watching you do that than they ever would if you became some big preacher or teacher and stood up here and told them all about it. I have seen that happen so many times. Those are the heroes, not the ones that are polished. I wish I had a fancy closing for you, but I don't. So... Mandy, won't y'all come on up and let's pray, though. Lord, we come to you now in the name of Jesus, Father. I ask your spirit to be amongst these people and go with them in their hearts and their homes, Father, that they would have an urge and a desire to chase you. To learn your word and overcome themselves and their inabilities to be stable in one place for more than five minutes. To learn to seek your name and your word. And Father, I ask that whatever effort they give, that your spirit would be amongst that, that would encourage them and challenge them to continue moving forward, Father. So that this place will shine more than it does. That people's lives will be changed in this small little community and influential in so much. So Lord, I ask for protection in this place and I ask for sifting. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.